All right, we are tracking. Speed. Can we put that in the podcast? Sure. You should just put that and then this conversation about putting that in the podcast and then put that this all into the podcast even the even even, the part that yeah even this happening right now even this the you talking about putting it in the podcast so if we have it in the podcast it would be extra weird because it's in the podcast yeah this is super weird hey everybody this is on podcast (laughs) yeah that's that's weird technology <laughs> are we gonna start this thing or what yeah I'm, I'm asking you if you're ready let's do this oh thing. yeah i've been ready let's go okay let's should we count down since it's the numbers episode well, we should count down we should. <laughs> do you want to count down three two one you're listening to canary cry radio now here are your hosts basil and gons Hey everybody, welcome again to Canary Cry Radio. Thanks for checking in this week. Um, we've got an interesting episode for you, but before we get into that, my name is Basil. And I'm Gons, and we're going to talk about numbers. 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 Ah, yes. Greetings, it is I, the Count, and it's time to answer that fascinating question. What is the Sesame Street number of the day? Ah, ah. Let's count the bats and find out. Ah, that's one. One bat. Two. Two bats. Three. Three fabulous flyers. Ah, ah, ah. What? Nothing? Nothing happened. Where's the confetti? Where's the balloons? Isn't three the number of the day? Uh, oh, what? Oh, we're not finished counting. Ha-ha. Yes, Sasha, where were you, my pet? Oh, well, never mind. You're here now. Let's keep going. We had three bats and one more. Sasha makes one, two, three, four all together. Four beautiful buttes. I mean, four beautiful bats. The number of the day is four. Ah, ah, ah. Maybe like the owl. Mr. Owl. owl. How many lifts does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Bar? Let's find out. One, two, three, three. How many lifts? Numbers episode. Yeah, so this is fun. This is going to get complicated. A sort of, but it's fun and it's uh, numbers are, are a little bit more mysterious than um, I think a lot of people are aware. Yeah, we use numbers every day. We use numbers all the time and we probably don't even realize how often we use numbers. Uh, we use it to measure things like weight, height, depth, distance. Uh, we use it with money. We place value on numbers and uh, you know, the more numbers you have, the better. What else? Um, I don't know. I was just thinking like, this might just be because we're doing a show about numbers, but whenever I look at anything, I mean, we're, we're constantly taking inventory of the things around us. We just count everything subconsciously, like where I'm sitting here. Like I, I just subconsciously, I know there's four drawers in this cabinet. You know, there's, there's three dead crickets over in the corner. Like just my mind is, 
It's just working in numbers without even me even thinking about it. Is that the cricket graveyard over there? Yeah, I, that's actually their own graveyard. I didn't, I didn't put them there. You didn't contribute. That's just where they go to die. I think. Interesting. So we're going to dive into some different things with numbers, and obviously, it's such a big topic. We can talk about all sorts of stuff, but we're going to try to focus in on a couple different things. The amazing things about numbers. And I think just the fact that we're talking about it and we seem, or at least I seem so excited, I think, maybe not, um, <laughs> that, that uh, you know, we're going to get into some interesting things and reveal some of the cosmos and God and the mysteries of the universe with numbers, or at least what people think they have found about the cosmos and God. And of course, we know our good friends at the wonderful New World Order are very fascinated with numbers as well. So there'll be a little bit of that. So before we get too deep into the the numbers thing and get too uh, mystical, uh, we just want to start off with a couple basic things. So one of the things that numbers does for us is um, gives us a, an idea of how vast something can be. And uh, one of the things is probabilities. And basically, the basic definition of probability is that it's a measure of the expectation that an event will occur or a statement is true. So, okay, just real quick, you, just what you said there, I just want to say something quick. You know, it's a measure of the expectation. And that's the, the great thing about numbers, and especially we as human beings love to just put numbers on everything. I think, you know, we love to measure everything. And in this case, probability is measuring expectation. Now, what exactly are we, what, what's the expectation that we're measuring? Well, today? okay, well, let's let's define, get a little bit, deeper into the definition. And first off, probabilities um, are given value between zero, which means it will not occur, or one, which means it will occur, which is interesting because, you know, all binary code is zeros and ones. And, uh, you know, maybe the fabric of our universe is all ones and zeros, kind of like a movie that we've seen. I know Kung Fu. Show me. This is a sparring program, similar to the programmed reality of the Matrix. It has the same basic rules, rules like gravity. What you must learn is that these rules are no different than the rules of a computer system. Some of them can be bent. Others can be broken. Understand? Then hit me, if you can. But okay, so anyway, the concept of uh, probabilities is sort of foundational for mathematics uh, and probability theory, which is used in uh, statistics, finance, gambling, uh, even science, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and even philosophy. So it's widely used. But to get a little bit deeper into this idea of probabilities and understanding the level of, I guess, the vastness or the, the chance of us being here right now in yeah. the universe... And we obviously believe that God is the author of the universe and that he authored life. And, you know, there's a, there's a divide there. There's a, there's a chasm, a chasm. There's a chasm there of people who say, uh, were you, were you reading the word chasm? No, I wasn't. Chasm? I, I, okay. I had it in my head and then I read what was in my head and it, yeah, yeah. no, I know how it is. Yeah, okay. It happens. There's a divide between people who say we're here by chance Mm-hmm. And those who say, no, no, we're not here by chance. So I think 
that's the ultimate divide. It is. It's yeah. it's sort of the uh, the two different worldviews, the two different perches, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so, to get a little bit of insight on this, at least from a biblical perspective, we talked to a guy named uh, David Lehman. He's a Doctor David Lehman. Doctor David, like just calling him Doctor. David Lehman that doesn't quite do him justice, does no, it? No, no, it doesn't. Let me uh, go over briefly of uh, give, give us the spiel. Who's the this spiel guy? of uh, Dr. Lehman. So he has a bachelor in mechanical engineering from the University of Minnesota. He also uh, did some graduate work uh, in mechanical engineering at the University of Missouri. Uh, he was on staff at Purdue University for 21 years. He graduated from Grace Theological Seminary with a Master of Divinity. And then he also has a doctor of philosophy from Oxford Graduate School in sociology and religion. He also has a PhD from Louisiana Baptist University and is currently working on a THD from Tyndale Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. And he served as a consulting engineer in Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, Kansas, Utah, and California. Uh, so, um, it's a lot know, of stuff. He's smarter than us. There's a lot of numbers in there, too. Yeah. And he's, uh, he's also a co host. Uh, with our friend Douglas Hamp over at According to Scriptures that's on every Thursday on uh, the Fringe Radio Network. Check it out. Yeah, so we talked to him about the probability of us being here, and here's what he said. Basically, two possible worldviews, either a theistic explanation for things or a non-theistic. Either God did it or he didn't. Either it had it happen naturally or supernaturally. So if you disprove one, you prove the other. If you show it couldn't happen naturally, then it obviously had to happen supernaturally. And so I go through the creation for a while, and you get to the point where you realize that this couldn't happen naturally. And so the only other alternative is that it had to happen supernaturally. But the next question is, God has given us natural revelation, the things of nature. I look around and I see the animals, the trees, the flowers, the sun, the moon, the stars, the people, and I can know something about the Creator from the creation. He that formed the eye does he not see, the created the ear does he not hear. We have personality, therefore we'd expect the creator to have a personality as well, the cause being greater than the effect. But for answers to questions like, who am I? Am I just an intelligent animal or do I have a soul? What about life after death? How should I use my time and my talents? And what does he require from me? For answers to those kinds of questions, I need some kind of special revelation couched in human language. And the question is, where is that information found and how can I be sure that it's from God? So I look throughout the gamut of literature available to us as humans, and I find only one book that passes the test required to be the Word of God. And the four tests that I give are inspiration, inerrancy, preservation, and illumination. Now, inspiration comes from a Greek word, theopneustos, literally means God-breathed or God-directed. It's like a master musician playing a piano. Each one of the keys on the piano has a different sound, just like each one of the apostles and prophets had a different personality. But God superintended the finished product so that it was without error. And it had to be without error, otherwise I'd need a red letter edition to tell me what's true and what isn't, what to send my missionaries out with, what to teach my children if I had any. And so the Bible makes a challenge in Isaiah 43, 10, 44, 45, and 46. It says this over and over again in various ways. I, the Lord, am one God. There's none else beside me, before me, that should come after me who's able to tell the end from the beginning. In other words, if God's in charge, he's going to be able to tell the future. Nobody else can do that. Now, the Bible is the only book that we've ever found that anybody has ever had prophecy that we can actually look up and check and say, yes, that was fulfilled, and we know when it was written. And so we find that 28.5% of the Old Testament and 21.5% of the New Testament is prophetic. 
And when we go back to the Old Testament, we find prophecies concerning Tyre and Sidon, Memphis, Thebes, Babylon, and all of these different cities were, we know when it was prophesied, we know what the prophecies were, we know how it was fulfilled. And so a guy named Peter Stoner wrote a book called Sias Speaks. Now he was a, he was the head of the math department at Westmount College. And he wrote a book that went through all of these Old Testament cities. And then he took one more. He said, now let's just look at the prophecies concerning the Messiah. We have over 300 prophecies concerning the Messiah in the Old Testament. Now, actually, uh, Alfred Edersheim, who wrote Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, a Jewish Christian, ended up coming up with 456 prophecies. But he said, just take eight of those prophecies concerning Christ, for example, that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, that the silver would be used to buy a potter's field, that it would be cast onto the temple floor, that he'd be born in Bethlehem, that he'd be born of a virgin, that he'd be both God and man, that he'd come in on a donkey. I mean, just take eight of those prophecies, it would be 10 to the 17th, one over 10 to the 17th, the probability that just one man, that all those prophecies could be fulfilled in one person. And for example, that he's born, born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. Well, take all the people that have ever been born, How who was born in Bethlehem? So that limits it down. But he was not only born in Bethlehem, he was, he was crucified. He was crucified between two thieves. His hands and feet were pierced. They cast lots for his robe. Uh, you know, we didn't even know about crucifixion. It was described a thousand years before it even it was even invented as a known form of punishment. And then just the part about being betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, not 29.99, not 31 of silver, not copper, bronze, or any other medium, that it would be thrown into God's house, called the temple, and the money is placed, not given, but thrown, and the money is used to buy a potter's field. Now, this is just all part of one prophecy. Well, Peter Stoner comes up with this idea. He says, well, you know, the time of Christ's coming was predicted 500 years before he came. That was in Daniel 9, 20 through 27. So we could go through these prophecies one by one. But anyway, he says, what's the probability just eight of those things happening in the life of any one person. He said that'd be one over 10 to the 17th power, which is the same as taking silver dollars, spreading over the state of Texas, two feet high, marking one, mix him up and have a blindfolded guy pick the right one the first time. He said, what's so the let's problem? hold on. Just stop him right there. He's not here live, everybody, by the way, this is a recording. So I have the power to stop him. Now, you know, the silver dollars and the Texas and the blindfold, and it just sounds insane. It's, it's, it, you'd call it impossible. I'd call it impossible. It's just, we're talking about numbers, so I'm sure there's some probability. But uh, he, he just doesn't even stop there. It just keeps going. He said, what's the probability of 48 of those things happening in the life of any one person? He said, well, that would be the same as taking electrons, cramming them one up against another. It would take you 19 million years to count a line one inch long at the rate of 250 a minute. So to count a cubic inch of them, it would take you 19 million years times 19 million years times 19 million years just to count them. But you start at the center of the Earth, go 6 billion light years in radius, create these balls of electrons, 6 billion light years in radius at the rate of 500 a minute for 6 billion years and be 10 to the 10th times that. Mark one, mix them up and have a blindfolded guy pick the right one the first time. And that's just 48 prophecies and we're talking about over 300. And those are the credentials that God gave his son so that we would be without excuse to recognize him when he came. There's no prophecies concerning Muhammad before he came, no prophecies concerning Buddha before he came, no prophecies concerning Joseph Smith or Charles Taze Russell or Mary Baker Eddy or the founder of any other cult or world religion 
One thing I thought was cool about his little rant there was he talks about prophecies. Right. And that is sort of the staple that gives the Bible and and the Christian worldview a little bit more credibility, if you will, or a little bit more validity. Because oh, it's, it's, it's the whole thing, yeah. Yeah, because without prophecies, you know, I, re- I really do think when Chuck Missler says, uh, God wrote history before it happens, and that's sort of his authentication, the way he authenticated the fact that he is outside of space and time and matter and everything else. Right. Um, I think that's very powerful. And I think Dr. Lehman is right when he says that, you know, Christianity is the only religion, the world religion, that has that going for them. You know, no other religion has the level of prophecy that was written, that we know the time it was written. And historically fulfilled prophecy too. Exactly. Not just, not just sort of legend. I, you know, you talk to some atheists or just some people who are not into the Bible and don't really know. And so you can't blame them, but um, you know, they just call it a book written by, you know, a crazy person or the prophecies, you know, they, they read the old Testament, Jesus read the old Testament and sort of knew what to do. You know, there's all sorts of this kind of stuff, but if you want to get legitimate about it, if you're a historian or know how historians like to think or work, the prophecies fulfilled in the Bible are uh, truly a strangely legitimate coincidence. I'd say as some atheists would like to call it. Yeah. So we'll let Dr. Lehman interject here and there from in the future as yeah. we, uh, maybe in this episode, maybe not. Uh, but, uh, we'll see. uh, he's, he's got a lot of, um, uh, information. He's done a lot of studying. He's got, he's done a lot of work and, uh, it's, uh, it's a privilege to have him around. So we'll, we'll definitely can, tap into his brain every once can in we, a while. Can we call him a correspondent? Um, that sounds really official. I was going to say, I don't know. I like it. Uh, yeah. Okay. The Canary Cry correspondent. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, we, he, does, he doesn't need to wear a name tag or anything, but. Well. Well, <laughs> I mean, you and I wear name tags for every episode. So uh, I actually, yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. I know. <laughs> okay. Okay. What's next? All right. Numbers. More numbers. More give numbers. Them, well, give them to me. Uh, you know, I just have to throw this in just because it's just a little interesting tidbit. Okay. Superstitions. Numbers, people get very superstitious, and we're not going to get too into this side of thing. But I know in, in the Japanese culture, or at least in uh, in a lot of Asian cultures, the number four is like the biggest no-no. Uh, yeah. The number four in Japanese, you, there's two ways you can actually say the number four. One is she, and the other one is young. She is the same word as death. So the number four obviously has an association with death and it's very fascinating. I have a friend um, that is trying to sell uh, her home and some people, it's a heavily, uh, I guess I can say it because I'm, I'm of that kind. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you call that kind? Uh, Yeah. Okay. So anyway, there's there's a lot of Asians in this uh, community. Yeah. And they're very superstitious people. And so they they actually, this this one person that was in escrow with, with my friend, okay. they consulted this uh, doctorate of metaphysics. And oh. they, they said that, no, you know what? The house number has a four in it. You can't go, go through with uh, buying this house. Is that a thing? A doctorate of metaphysics? Apparently, yeah. We, we talked about it. And, and she was very frustrated because 
she was charging like five thousand dollars per consultation on like on oh like gosh. these spiritual uh, real estate spiritual counseling and all this nonsense what it's it's bizarre it's very bizarre but uh that's crazy yeah that's a whole nother whole nother episode well that's that's yeah that's really interesting and a doctor to met metaphysics i gotta i gotta look into that yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily legit as far as uh, an academic standpoint, but I think you right. can uh, you can get a doctor in anything. You can make something up and hey, you know, whatever. If they're educated in metaphysics now, but speaking of superstition, okay, tell me if these numbers mean anything to you, Gans, right? and a lot of you listeners out there. Just don't tell him if. Okay, here we go. Ready? Four, eight. 15, 16, 23, 42, 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42, 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. Look, Lenny, I gotta know. What do the numbers mean? 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42, 4, 8, 15, 16. Anything? Uh, lost, man. Oh. The, the show Lost, okay? Yeah. I, 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 I was totally lost on that one. I see what you did there. <laughs> I don't know how you get so funny. Guys. All right, go, I don't know how you do. go, go okay. on, go on. Well, I mean, okay. So these are some numbers that are huge on the show. They appear, I think in like season two or something. They're, they're a big part of the show and they're everywhere through. I mean, they scatter these numbers throughout the whole show. You know, they're very much into that. It's a very good show, very deep and uh, confusing and, and stuff. But this guy Hurley, he's sort of this very large kind of jolly but melancholy guy. And he kind of has this, like, kind of looks like Weird Al Yankovic, like back when he was like 800 pounds or something. And he wins the lottery on these numbers. And just everything around him just starts, just terrible things happen. Like his friends like die, like his houses start burning down. You know, he has houses now because he won the lottery. And, and all these terrible things happen. And he obsesses over these numbers. Four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty-three, forty-two, four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty-three, forty-two. And we later find out that these numbers have sort of existed for a long, long time, being passed from person to person, and they're sort of maybe a little bit cursed. Mm. Um, yeah, see, and then you know, I'm not gonna give too much away for those people, you know, six years late on watching Lost. Um <laughs> <laughs> but but this idea of numbers like having a metaphysical power uh, power is very much is so interesting to us so much that you know we obsess over these numbers in a TV show and then you know maybe in real life we actually play the numbers in the lottery hoping that there's something there and ultimately you know, you don't win the lottery using those numbers. Not that I have tried, but I've heard of other people doing it. So, I mean, but it just shows kind of the, the, the power of numbers. the obsession and these people obsess over these numbers and it, you know, dictates decisions that they make and, and, and really rash decisions. And it's funny because it's lost. It's an awesome TV show. But I mean, if you think about it, we all sort of do this in sort of, you know, maybe in not so intense way, but I think um, superstition is, is just sort of comes with the territory of being um, a human being. Well, and habits too. 
we use time and time and is patterns. represented by numbers and, and we love patterns. Yeah. And we all, we have habits and things that we do based on what time of day or what time of week. And so, yeah. Speaking of, speaking of time, 11, 11, you know, sort of a big thing for a lot of people. I just said that. And like a lot of people listening just went, oh, he, which is really funny because just, just today, actually today, earlier yep. today, yeah. Uh, I was, uh, cleaning around the house or whatnot and mm-hmm. I picked up my phone and yep. I, and I looked at the time and it yep. was eleven eleven. And I yep. remember thinking, this is one of those things that I should say, Oh, it's eleven yeah. eleven. There's some kind of significance to this right. moment. And, but really there's but, a pretty good chance of you looking at the time at eleven eleven. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny because uh, I, you know, I knew we were doing this episode and, and just yesterday it happened twice. I, I looked at the clock right at 11, 11 in, uh, you know, the afternoon. And then I did it again at night, which, you know, you, th- you think is weird and maybe it's weird. Maybe there's something, maybe there's not, probably not. I'm probably just, you know, we're all just crazy human beings, but that sort of stuff starts to get inside your mind a little bit. And there's skeptics love to, um, talk about the 11, 11 quote unquote phenomenon you know, because of the statistics of looking at the clock at 11.11 really allegedly aren't, you know, isn't that rare. Right. Well, it kind of reminds me of the the saying, you know, the broken clock tells the right time twice a day or something like that. Exactly. And you know, it's funny is actually uh, this morning. Well, yeah, this morning I looked at the clock and it was (laughs) 11.10. I'm like, I got you. Oh, you didn't get me today. One, 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 one. Anyway, so those are those are some interesting things too. And these aren't just things for numerology people. I mean, eleven eleven is a huge numerology thing. But I've heard Christians also uh, started talking about the eleven eleven phenomenon. And you know, I've heard like, oh, it's eleven eleven. So it was a big deal know, last year on November eleventh of two thousand eleven. That's true. That was a thing, and we, I kind of, you know, some, okay, I'll admit, I may have thought something cool was going to happen, but nothing did. I think some people had 11-11-11 parties. I'm sure that was a disaster for somebody. (laughs) Or the greatest party ever. Or or the greatest. Yeah, exactly. How cool would it be if your birthday was on 11-11? Okay, we're getting way way off topic here. The point is, what's our point, Gons? Point is, numbers are powerful and they're used every single day by us, and we even ascribe meaning to it. Boom! To try to uh, harness some kind of power or energy or or meaning or thought or yeah. whatever. But the uh, dictionary definition of a number is a mathematical object used to count, label, and measure. So, I mean, that's pretty obvious. I'm sure we can all agree to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I okay. Hold on, you thought you were going to get away with this, scot free. But I think it's interesting that it's defined as an object. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point because I don't necessarily think it is an object. Numbers exist as I think as a concept, and we prescribe objects with numbers. But like the number one doesn't exist somewhere in the universe. You know, it's not. It's not like a thing, like it's a, like a pumpkin or something exists. Right. And, and normal, logical, relatively smart, good-looking people like you and myself, 
would think that, and we do think that, and that's a very widely held thing. But there is a man, at least one man, who thinks that numbers are actual, you know, physical parts of the universe. Yeah, which it has its own valid argumentation behind it, and I know it does. Right. You know, it's one of those philosophical debates that still happens today. It's been going on for centuries. A number of people here tonight think that the number two exists. Now, if the number two exists, uh, it would seem to be an eternal object. It's not as though the number two just began to exist a finite time ago. Moreover, the number two, if it exists, would seem to exist necessarily. It, it isn't the sort of thing that it would just exist contingently. But in that case, how could the number two be created by God? Uh, it would seem to me he couldn't create such a thing because it would be eternal and necessary uh, and therefore couldn't be something that would be the product of his creation. So this would confront or, or present a real problem or challenge to the classical Christian theist who thinks that God is the creator of all reality outside of himself. Uh, it would mean that there is an infinite realm of objects, an infinity affinity of objects, which are uncreated by God, and God just becomes one being among many. And so that is theologically unacceptable. So how do you deal with this? Well, uh, one way, and this is the way the church fathers dealt with it, they said, that these objects are actually ideas in the mind of God. Two is not an object that exists apart from God. It is an idea. It's, it's a concept in the mind of God. They took Plato's ideas and moved them into the intellect of God as his ideas. Other views hold that these sorts of objects don't exist at all. Two is just a sort of useful fiction that we use. Um, but there really is no such thing as the number two. There are two chairs or two people um, or two glasses, but the number two itself doesn't exist. And this is the view that I'm exploring and that, frankly, I'm inclined to. I think that, that numbers and sets and so forth are just useful fictions. They're sort of like idealizations in science. In many scientific theories, you have idealizations like ideal gases and liquids that are continuous, even though no physical gas could be like that, or the frictionless plane. You know, when a ball rolls down a frictionless plane, there is no such thing. These are just idealizations. They're useful fictions. And I'm inclined to think that numbers and other mathematical objects are like okay, that. Okay, the, the mathematically prescribing numbers to objects it is that divide that we talked about earlier that everything can be reduced down to numbers. Yeah. And I, for one, I think that it is possible that you can, but we don't necessarily have the means to know it and maybe ever know it by our own accord. Um, okay. I'm just one to believe that, that God is the one that authored everything. I would even throw myself out there and say that there is some math equation or mathematical a uh, numerical system that dictates or upholds or upkeeps the constants and quantities and boundaries and the laws of physics and all the things that we experience in the physical world. I think there is, you know, God's smart enough to do that. He's got something right. worked out to uh, uh, some sort of systematic thing worked out. And uh, of course he's the one that's holding it together 
think of the most amazing mathematicians that exist on the planet right now or have ever existed within you know the the human race right. the the most brilliant mathematical minds that we could ever create using biological reproductive systems and these are just guys who are just scratching the surface trying to explain or discover these crazy equations or numbers or or work within this mathematical frame that god invented just simply made like just just spoke it into existence i mean god's a pretty big nerd i mean if you really want to get down to it <laughs> well i think <laughs> Okay, we just called God. Okay, we're uh, just gonna, <laughs> we're just gonna go with that. There's nothing wrong with nerds. I love nerds. No, I'm, I'm definitely uh, nerdville. But in the sense of math um, being an actual construct in the universe and not just sort of a language that we use to describe the nature of reality, I can ascribe to that. I think that there's definitely uh, set things in the universe. Maybe God sort of made this scaffolding of math around creation so that we as human beings could climb this scaffolding, which is mathematics, and use it to understand the world or maybe observe the architecture of, you know, the building of which the scaffolding is erected around. What do you think about that? That's eh, pretty good. And it's starting to uh, a little foreshadowing of where we might be headed. Ooh, see, and I just came up with that now. I didn't even plan that. Yeah, that's good. So yeah, you know what I mean? And so, yeah, I think that's, I think that's totally something. So, okay. So, but here's the question though. Like this, this made me think like, are there mathematical calculations or equations for emotions? Like things like sadness, love, pain, joy, peace. Do they even exist? What do you think? I mean, there's there could be like cake plus presents plus uh, a pony could equal happiness. That sort of thing. <laughs> well, I was, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was referring more back to numbers in some form or another. So like one cake plus <laughs> five pony. Okay, no, yeah, um, I don't know. I I guess it's hard to imagine because. You know, I'm still trying to wrap my head around numbers being actual things. Are they are they just a concept? I don't know. Well, I mean, what do you think? You say yours, and let me copy you. Well, well, I mean, <laughs> I, it kind of echoes what I said before, but I think it's really God's thing. You know, right. I, I don't think that. I mean, again, there's a part of me that believes or feels like they do exist, that there are these calculations, these systems at work that exist in somewhere in the universe anyway. Maybe they're metaphysical in, in nature, but there's something that universally uh, we feel or uh, share as sentient beings. Um, things like love and pain and sadness and you know the emotions that we feel while the materialists try to dwindle it down to pure chemicals and electronic signals in the brain, if they really truly knew the, the foundational constructs of our emotions and our thoughts, they would be able to essentially make a mathematical equation that produces those things in all humans, you know, which isn't the case. What I got from that, at least, and what I do believe is that 
math can be used to be representative of systems or anything in the universe. I believe that we can uh, that we can attach math to it and use math to uh, be representative of truths and of non-truths and of systems and of anti-systems of of randomness and chaos i think that's all a possibility but if you are asking me what came first you know reality or math i i mean you know what i mean like are we are we just using math and numbers to describe things or did they exist beforehand and i know that was your question that was your question before but can i say both yeah, yeah, I would say so because I'd like to say both. Because yeah, I, th- I think you're you're onto something. Because essentially, math is patterns of numbers, right? And right. these calculations, like you said, they apply to reality or the physical reality, anyway. But sometimes the difficulty comes when you know you have all these uh, very intelligent people coming up with mathematical equations that result in, let's say, the model of the universe. Uh, right. Let's say you know the uh, you know the multiverse model, uh, for example, can be ascribed from a mathematical equation or system. Yes. The, the the problem is in those calculations, in finding those patterns, are they staying consistent with actual reality? You know, that's that's the thing that we can't really know for sure, right. unless we when it comes to at least you know the the shape of the universe or you know these these bigger questions, the, the number of universes, exactly, yeah, things like yeah. that. So, in that sense, it's challenging. Like I said, I guess for the third time, I think that they do exist, but uh, right. it's just I think that's part of the, I guess, the desire of man. Interestingly, that yeah. we have been trying to attain this wisdom and the foundational unified theory of everything, you know, is based on this idea that there is some kind of systematic uh, numerical foundation to all of reality. And, uh, you know, we'll entertain the idea of a possible equation that, you know, could lead into that direction. Like a God equation? Like a God equation. Yeah. Okay. I'm okay. All right. I think I can be open to that and still be true to, myself and god i don't i don't think he's very angry at that yet um (laughs) not yet so so, okay so where do we go from here well okay this uh so we've been sort of teasing this idea but yeah i'm sure somebody's getting really frustrated sorry yeah um we're gonna talk a little bit about what's called vortex mathematics and it's you know there's a little buzz out there of of this sort of thing for the last couple years right uh the main proponents are two guys one guy named randy powell and um, he derived a lot of his work from a guy named Marco Rodin. And some of you guys may have heard of the Rodin coil. Uh, that's based on yep. the mathematical equations that uh, Marco Rodin discovered. And we're going to try to walk you through that equation. It's not terribly difficult right. to understand, but it is interesting. And it does use some methods that in the past historically have been labeled numerology. And we will put some links in the show notes so you can um, get some more details on that. There's going to be a short version, a long version. So make sure to check those out if you get interested. But uh, finish listening to us first. Yeah, so basically, before we jump into the equation, Marco Rodin, based on this equation, 
and in the use of his numbers claimed that we will be able to harness the power of spin which will basically tap into you know what's commonly known as zero point energy or dark energy or the god particle you know all these names that we have for this thing that's all around us that we can't see <laughs> we can't touch all the big cool interesting stuff yeah and a lot of science they acknowledge that it exists they just have no idea what it really is or how to harness it or how to tap into it. And that's been right. sort of the, uh, the great mystery, if you will. And, and this is where, you know, it starts to blur the line because it's possible that some of this knowledge of how to do that uh, was passed down through the mystery schools and the mystery religions and uh, right. the secret societies. And so it, it gets really interesting, but the, uh, <laughs> I like the name that Marco Rodin uh, gave this device. If we are able to create this device from his mathematics, he would call it the Flux Thruster Atom Pulsar Electrical Ventry Space Time Implosion Field Generator Coil. And that's that's the UFO, is it not? That's that's the uh, the flying saucer that he says he'll be able to make. Well, it's yeah, it's basically you know because the flying saucer is the ultimate sort of uh, pinnacle of. Uh, of this harnessing vor- vortex science yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So, and I will say, after looking into it, and, you know, it's very complicated, and we'll get into it in a second, but it does have some very, very interesting and viable possibilities. And, you know, he has some video of, you know, some experiments that he's done with using this equation and this, um, this sort of a theory that they've come up with and it is fascinating. It's very fascinating. And there are, you know, we're definitely going to want to follow this as it develops, especially as it could mean huge changes in life as we know it for everyone. Right. And, you know, we'll touch on sort of the possible prophetic implications of where this is headed. Uh, but let's, let's actually describe the equation because it, there's a simplicity to it that is quite interesting and, and sort of uh, beautiful almost, if you want to call it that. Beautiful and a little bit suspicious. A little bit suspicious. That. It is very simple. Yeah. All right. So here we go. To describe this equation, imagine a circle with single digit numbers surrounding it, one through nine. So like a clock, only it goes to nine. Exactly. Okay. So we're going to help you visualize this by using sound. So here are the nine numbers and the notes that will be associated with each number. So this is one. And this is two. Three. Four. This is five. Six. Seven. This one is eight. And nine. So each musical note is going to represent the number which corresponds with the one that we just said. And so we'll have the image there in the show notes too. If you get too confused, go there, check it out. But uh, before that, listen to these beautiful notes one more time. One more time. Okay. Real quick. One. Two. Three. Four. Five. Six. Seven. Eight. Nine. So here we go. This is the actual equation. The reason why we want to do this in the diagram is it really shows what's going on, and it's very cool. So 
This, again, is the equation described by Marco Rodin. The process of doing this is doubling and then reducing it to a single digit number. So we're going to start with one. And if we double one, we get two. If we double two, we get four. When we double four, we, we get, get eight. Oh, you beat me. There it is. <laughs> eight. Okay, now this is where the trick comes in. When we double eight, we get 16. But since the diagram only goes up to nine and we're trying to reduce it back to a single digit, we separate the one and the six of 16 and add them together, which makes seven. And this again, this little method is what a lot of people refer to as numerology, uh, but it is used in standard mathematics as well. Um, maybe you mathematicians know what it's called. I don't, but uh, that's the process. So going back to the equation, we were at seven. So if we double seven, we get 14, separate the one and the four of 14, add them together and you get five, double five and get 10, separate the one and the zero of 10 and we go back to one. So we create this pattern that goes one, two, four, eight, seven, five, one. Which sounds like this. actually. Hmm, maybe he's on to something. Maybe. <laughs> this pattern keeps working if you keep going. Uh, it also works in halving. 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 <laughs> halving. 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 Making halves. Div dividing. <laughs> dividing into halves instead of doubling. Or in powers of ten. This is the basic pattern, and in, when you look at the diagram, the circle diagram, it sort of forms a infinity sign, a kind of crude infinity sign, but it's a, a geometric-looking infinity sign. Right. So it's a pattern based on numbers, which is pretty cool. Now here's where it gets strange: the numbers that don't get touched in this infinite cycle are three, six, and nine. Now, those three numbers in the diagram form the shape of a triangle. And when you spread that and pull it into a three-dimensional shape, the triangle, anyway, forms a pyramid. So 369, 9 is the key number that Randy Powell claims is the key to everything, the answer to everything. That's a pretty bold statement. Yeah, and so he gives us some examples about why 9, based on this 369 pattern, is so powerful. And uh, one of the things he says is that if you uh, take 3 and you double it, it's 6. If you uh, take 6 and double it, it's 12. But uh, you do the same method, spread the 1 and the 2, 
and add them together, you get three. You're back to three. And then when you double 12, you get 24. Uh, Do the same method. Add two plus four, you get six. So you get six. 24 doubled is 48. Uh, but then you separate the four and the eight, you get 12, you separate the one and the two, you get three. So there's a really interesting pattern there. It goes three, six. When you reduce these numbers back, you always end up with three or six. Right. And And not nine though. Not nine, but here's where it gets interesting when, and this is kind of the uh, complex part where it starts getting a little bit more convoluted. uh, If you don't have the visuals to really help you understand this, but Basically, what Randy Powell did was he created a chart, a two-dimensional chart, and he plotted these numbers, and he used the one, two, four, eight, seven, five, one pattern in two directions, and then which sounds like this, right? When you look at the threes, sixes, and nines, it creates a very interesting pattern where the sixes and the threes never touch each other. They're always separated by nine. Now, I don't know the exact super detailed significance to this, but this is just what Randy Powell explains. The pattern goes three, nine, six, six, nine, three, three, nine, six, six, nine. Right. And so the threes and the six never touch each other. And according to Randy Powell, this is the key to tapping into those invisible energies it's sort of mirroring what we see in magnetics of the positive and negative charge right never touching each other and having the nine be that point at which this uh invisible energy is harnessed so that's pretty fascinating it is very interesting and so when you take that two-dimensional chart and you actually fold it into a three-dimensional image it creates a torus the donut the donut and this shape has been very uh, vital in a lot of uh, field research. And when I say field, I mean magnetic fields. Uh, magnetic fields. Also, the New Agers believe that every human body has a torus-shaped uh, energy field as well. Right. Which may or may not be true, uh, depending on if God wanted it to be true or not. Right. So let me quote Powell to give you a, a little glimpse of what the significance of all this is. This is a Randy Powell quote. The number nine never changes and is linear. For example, all multiples of nine equal nine. Nine times one equals nine. Nine times two equals 18, but one plus eight equals nine. Nine times three equals 27, but two plus seven equals nine. This is because it is emanating in a straight line from the center of mass out of the nucleus of every atom and from out of the singularity of a black hole. This is complete revealing perfection and has no parity because it always equals itself. The number nine is the missing particle in the universe known as dark matter. Now, okay, he he makes some very large jumps here, I believe. Yes, the nine, it's in his chart. It is interesting how it separates the threes and the sixes. It is interesting how the multiples of nine, when you add the digits together, equal nine. I mean, that's something, that's something I learned to help me learn my times tables is that nine times two is 18. One plus eight is nine. That's how you would check your work. Right. Right. But how I'm having a hard time following how he comes to his conclusion where because of this 
pretty impressive set of strange qualities that the number nine possesses. Suddenly nine is perfection and it is flying out of atoms and creating black holes and okay so here's where i'm gonna do my best to try to explain this and again i don't fully understand it either i'm not uh, i'm not marco Rodin or randy powell and um you know so from what i can gather uh looking into a lot of his work here the number nine if you go back to that diagram if you go back to that torus shape the, the number nine, the pinnacle of the pyramid is where the energy is being sucked in or changed. And when you, when you say energy, you're talking about, we're talking about science here. This is magnetic energy. This is cosmic energy. This is energy in the black hole. This is things like that. Yeah. Right, right. Exactly. Okay. So when you, yeah. So the donut torus shape creates an energy flow. It, it creates movement of vortex that's why it's vortex mathematics the number nine almost it's the part that sits above it it's the the point at which all of these energies are deriving from and i guess his claim is that if you prescribe a number to it mathematically speaking it's the number nine because you know of all these things that he's mentioned as with the pattern of of what nine right. is right uh, okay so again this concept is that it's a mathematical equation that explains or describes the nature of reality and right. he goes on to talk about how oh you know that's why tornadoes and hurricanes are the shapes that they are because you know they possess the same mathematics uh, the red blood cell dna all these things possess the same pattern that Randy Powell talks about in his equation. And that's why they have the shapes that they do. And it is fascinating. It's possible. I, I would say it's, you know, he might be onto something. I don't know if it's completely accurate or if it's, if it really is the grand unified theory, but right. he's onto something. I mean, there is some, some fascinating things that go along with this whole equation in this. Uh, There's enough there that you can't quite, you know, shake a stick at it, but I mean, this this whole thing kind of has this new agey sort of feel to it. When we start talking about numerology and we start talking about energy fields and things like that, I mean, what about that? Well, I, mean, I think it, I think there's two things here. One is the actual practical matter of this whole thing. Okay, and that is that if this mathematics really does produce machines or uh, things that actually produce what we would consider to be free energy, right. then it is going to completely change the way we live. We're going to go off the era of oil and um, you know just burning fuel is going to end and uh, right. this new form of technology is going to come out. And, and again, this is where we're going to get a little bit, at least for me, I'm going to get a little bit speculative and suggest that if there is any credibility to what Randy Powell is discovering, it comes at a time when, yes, it's going to change everything. It's going to, you know, there's going to be some cool technologies to come out, but it's also going to really, really ramp up this new age, the right. new age ideas. It's going to give it even more credibility because now science is behind it. Right. And um, it's interesting because. This fella is a very proclaimed Baha'i. 
yeah. which is one of the the youngest of the world's independent religions, which has a huge a huge emphasis on unity and you know all religions lead to God and um, is sort of a poised to be maybe the religion of a new world order or at least a religion that propagates the same sort of ideas as uh, a new world order would like to uh, to spread to the public yeah and these speculations really come from their own words and when I say they I'm talking about the Baha'i faith right and um we're not going to do a whole expose on the Baha'i faith, but it really does sound like, you know, one world religion type of thing. <laughs> Everyone can get along and, and look right. at us, you know, we, it doesn't matter really what you believe. We just all believe in the same God. It's, it's, it's that whole spiel. So yeah. here's a quote from their own website. Uh, it okay. says, quote, in the years since Baha'u'llah lived, who was the uh, founder of the Baha'i faith, he wrote the scriptures that contained a lot of this wisdom, apparently that seems to echo some of the, uh, the mathematics that we were talking about. So uh, since the years he lived, the process of global unification for which he called has become well advanced through historical processes. The traditional barriers of race, class, creed, and nation have steadily broken down. The forces at work Baha'u'llah predicted will eventually give birth to a universal civilization. The principal challenge facing the peoples of the earth is to accept the fact of their oneness and assist in the creation of this new world. This new world. Right. Yeah. And um, so this is where we're faced with, you know, just another level of complication within this whole sort of theory and equation. And that is, and we're, we're faced with another situation where something as grand and as complicated and as beautiful and as unique and as beautifully created as only the creator can create, we may be watching it being hijacked at this very moment for the plans of the enemy, or at least being included in some sort of deception or it's being twisted. Those are the sorts of things that at least immediately come to mind when having to reconcile God creating math and numbers and creating order in the universe with uh, these units that he, you know, has included in the blueprints of creation. And now when seemingly somebody has figured out something great and possibly ultimate, it is being used to propagate what seems like some prophecies that we're all fairly familiar with regarding the the third act of the <laughs> creation, if you could say that. Right. And, uh, you know, just to, just to wrap up this whole thing with the vortex mathematics, you know, there are some people that are saying that it's just a crazy idea. It's, it's just another one of those new age ideas. But there are university professors uh, that are saying that this might be the greatest mathematical discovery in history and all this stuff. So it's sort of uh, creeping into um, the world of academia and we'll see if it actually sticks. We'll see if there's any weight there. And um, if it doesn't pass through, then, you know, we just wasted your time for the last 15 minutes. 
but but if, if well you got if, to hear the song yeah the, the, the nice song that if nothing else comes out of that theory that's a nice little tune yeah a nice uh little melody that that it creates but if there is something to it then uh you heard it here first and well maybe not here <laughs> but but you you're 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 aware of it and you right. will uh you will know that when this thing goes super public, uh, it won't be a surprise to you. Right. And um, just uh, if you would like to, again, show notes, there's videos. I think he he has a TEDx talk, which is kind of, you know, more of just a, just a little ramp-up session. He doesn't really explain that much. Um, but I know there is a uh, excessively long video. I, I went through about two hours of it and... Uh, uh, you know, but it's interesting. It's interesting. It is interesting. Stuff. It is. Check it out. It is interesting. And um, if I was a mechanical engineer or something, I think I would be watching it with a lot more fervor. But because I don't have those skills of relating mathematical equations into actual physical objects, uh, oh, I would love to. Simple, simple guns. Just a little interesting little sprinkle here. Uh, okay. Russell Blake, who was a former senior researcher from Microsoft, believes that this can really change uh, or revolutionize the computer operating system. Oh, I'm sure. And uh, he says that uh, this fantastic coherence has existed since the beginning of time, but has yet to be harnessed by man, and the potential is truly mind-boggling. Right, and it really is. I mean, if you if you think about the possibilities of, of if this theory is true, and if these numbers and this equation really has some semblance of, of truth and reality, it will change everything forever when it catches on. Right. And just echoing a little bit of uh, the prophetic implications, let's imagine, okay, we, we've talked about the mark of the beast and we've speculated and, and tons of people have speculated on the, you know, the one world government and all, all these things. Okay. Well, okay. Consider this. Let's say this technology becomes uh, real and the devices get made and, and everything else. Well, obviously there's going to be a company. It may take some time, you know, but there is going to be one company that is going to perfect the product, if you will, and is going to externalize it and, uh, you know, make it available to the world and seemingly be one of the things that can potentially bring, you know, an end to world hunger and, uh, you know, all sorts of things. Isn't it interesting that, that it would be a corporation, (laughs) like it would be a company Right. It's not going to be, and as much as I would like it to be, some grassroots movement of some people just making these flux, you know, right. vortex machines in their garage, and we can, which you know, they claim they want to do. They want to make it a, a, a grassroots public movement, which is very much a Baha'i thing, which is great, and which is avoiding a lot of the corporate nonsense. Right. But, but if it gets accepted through the academic barriers or or if they just make something that works. If something gets invented that works. Yeah. Then it's a game changer. It's really going to change everything. I mean, we may even uh, the claims are that he can, you know, with this technology, we'll be able to travel anywhere in the universe. I mean, that's that's right. pretty significant. So, any case, you know, we'll see. We'll just have to see if this uh sticks, if it's if it has any weight. I, I really haven't heard a whole lot of rebuttal on it. Um, that's probably because the information hasn't gotten in front of the people that really would uh, verify it academically or right. not. One issue that I did see was that somebody mentioned 
how you can't have any kind of numerical system that doesn't start with zero because most mathematics, the scale starts at zero. Yeah. I'm not sure if I agree with that though, because for the longest time, zero wasn't, you know, really a number right. that and, was recognized by everybody. Right. And zero effectively is the non-existence of. It's not a number. It's, it's not a number really. It's, it's the absence of numbers. Right. Right. And we use it. And, and again, it's one of those small things that can really be a complete paradigm shift to, the world of mathematics and and then from there, you know, physics and all the right. sciences, because uh, maybe they were doing it wrong the whole time, you know, including zero in the scale, but you know. Yeah. Well, I'll see. Cool. Okay. So, so let's, let's talk about something else. All right. Well, I mean, we're going to springboard into, uh, because we did use a little bit of uh, uh, numerology in that equation. We did. And so, so let's look at numerology for a second because we're, we, I mean, this is the numbers actual episode. numerology, actual knowledge. numerology. Yeah. We can't have a numbers episode without actual numerology. Right. Numerology by Wikipedia is defined as any study of the purported divine, mystical, or other special relationship between a number and some coinciding observed or perceived events. Uh, it has many systems and traditions and beliefs. And um, where I think true numbers and numerology really separate right. is the idea of prescribing meaning to numbers or, I guess, yeah. events or things like that. Yeah, and a little bit of numerology is, you know, seems to wiggle its way into a lot of things. For instance, the 1111 phenomenon that we talked about earlier. A lot of people put that into the numerology barrel. And a lot of people would put Rodin's um, vortex equation into a sort of numerology barrel. So, but we'll get a little bit more specific when it comes to numerology. Yeah. Yeah. But keep in mind, because I know that. A lot of people listening might say, oh, no, numerology, you know, poo-poo numerology outright. But there are some things that are fundamentally based in, I guess, you know, the methods of numerology. And uh, here's a quote from a guy named I.J. Good. He's a British mathematician. Do you want to read it? No. What? Okay. <laughs> okay. Hold on. First... First, I want I want to go back to. Okay. <laughs> what did you just say about numerology being? I said that numerology um, does have some foundation in some uh, some of the. Uh, I was setting up this quote. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Sure. Go for it. Read it. I'll read it. You read it. Well, I'll read I, it. I set it up so you could. Read okay. It. I'll read it. Here I go. Ready? Yeah. yeah. British mathematician I. J. Good wrote. There have been a few examples of numerology that have led to theories that transformed society. It would be fair enough to say that numerology was the origin of the theories of electromagnetism, quantum mechanics, gravitation. So I intend no disparagement when I describe a formula as numerological. When a numerological formula is proposed, when we may ask whether it is correct... I think an appropriate definition of correctness is that the formula has a good explanation. In a platonic sense, that is, he, the explanation could be based on a good theory that is not yet known but exists 
in the universe of possible reasonable ideas. And right. he said that in 1990 in a piece called A Quantal Hypothesis for Hadrons and the Judging of Physical Numerology. Right. So, I mean, this came as a, a little bit of a surprise to me. I didn't realize that right. electromagnetism and quantum mechanics and gravitation actually had roots in numerology. So, right. again, well, there might be some nuggets in there of truth that are God-authored. Right. And well, here's here's what I think about that. Okay. I think math, numbers, and their relationship with each other, their relationship with the universe, their relationship with reality in general, I believe that those are set things created by God and included in creation and the blueprints of reality as he created it to be from the very beginning of time and even before that, most likely. Okay, I do believe that. Now, what gets a little bit sketchy for me, and I'm sure a lot of listeners, is the word numerology brings up all sorts of ideas and thoughts about, oh, fortune-telling and astrology and, and psychics and things like that. Okay, now, what I believe that I.J. Good is writing here is uh, he's using a sort of connotation of numerology the theories of numerology as sort of a metaphysical practice, and some practitioners would even call it a science, they resonate with reality in a scientific sense in the same way that a mathematician can express reality within an equation. Okay, Now, in my opinion, numerology is just a more metaphysical take on math and science and things like that, which seems obvious, and yet it's used in occultism, in the mystery schools, in ancient societies and, and the Masons and, and you know, all these people are all basing things off of numerology, where numerology itself may have some basis in truth of reality, not because of numerology as a metaphysical practice, but because the numbers themselves are given importance and they are given a place in the universe by God and not some sort of other metaphysical explanation. Okay. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. And it really okay. gets back to uh, some real basic biblical principles about creating idols. You right. Know? I mean, it, exactly. Foundationally, it's if you are basing your life off of horoscopes and numerological symbols and equations and everything like that to conduct your life. If you're not buying a house because the address has a four in it. Exactly. Right. Things like that. Then you're ascribing power to those numbers where the power does not exist in the numbers. The numbers do hold a constant relativity to the universe as placed there by God, but the numbers themselves do not have power. You cannot invoke power from the numbers. The numbers cannot curse you or hold anything over you. You cannot use numbers against someone else. They are simply Legos, building blocks in reality that God uh, used for us to uh, discover and play with and look at and use to describe and discover things, but to use it in a way other than that is as witchcraft, in my opinion. That being said, when I.J. Good reads, write, <laughs> writes, I'm sorry, that numerology was the origin of the theories of electromagnetism, quantum mechanics, and gravitation, 
I believe he is referring to the constants that numbers give in the sciences of those. And so, uh, but, you know, numerology is an interesting thing, and some have even taken important numbers of the Bible and turned them into a sort of pseudo-numerology. But it is undeniable that the Bible itself and Scripture places importance places, maybe signifies certain things in numbers. And uh, the Hebrew language itself very much is based around the mixing between numbers and words and meanings and things like that, right? Yes, Basil. There (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Perfect. Um, Can we just, can we just play the, uh, the Vortex song real quick? <laughs> can we just get can we just take a second? Just just a little breakdown. Yeah, just a little breakdown, just a little okay, everybody. Listen. Okay. Take us take us home, guys. Alright, well, we're gonna take off to get home. Take it, take it, take, just do it. All right. Okay. So real briefly here, uh, before we get into some of the things in the Bible, and there's so many things, we're not going to be able to touch on everything, but there is a document called The Biblical Meaning of Numbers from 1 to 40, written by Dr. Stephen E. Jones. And uh, we'll leave the link there. You can check it out. And basically he goes through each number, the word associated with the number, and then the Uh, I guess, object that's associated and the symbols associated. And he says here, uh, the Hebrew language uses their letters as numbers, and the letters are also words and concepts that can be used either literally or symbolically. This is true both, you know, in the Kabbalah also, but there is an actual Hebrew truth to this. Uh, And um, some of the interesting ones, some highlights, three, you know, the Trinity, we often hear about, you know, three and one. Gimel, which represents a camel, interestingly, uh, and it means to be lifted up and have pride, which is interesting. And then uh, let me jump to Vav, which is number six, uh, which is a nail, a hook, and it equals to fasten, join together, secure, or add. And an interesting, a real quick interesting point here, the Vav, when you actually look at the drawing of the Vav and you place three of them, have you ever seen a monster drink? I have. Yeah, that's a little insight from Rob Skiba. But yeah, uh, yeah the the monster symbol, uh, the the M for monster makes, energy drink for monster energy drinks. I'm okay. sorry. Yeah, that has three valves in it, and then the valve represents the number six. Um, so six 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 there. Ooh. Um, and then just to uh, just to tap it off here. Remember good old Randy Powell? What was his uh, special number that's going to solve everything? Um, I believe it was nine. Number nine. According to this list, number nine, Teth, means snake or serpent, and it has the symbolism that means surround. Whoa. Which is very interesting. And then, you know, if we want to get a little more numerological here, nine times two is 18. 18 divided by three is six. You have three sixes there. Six, six, oh, six. Oh, gosh. So, Randy yeah. Powell, you are the Antichrist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
in case you weren't aware. No, okay, uh, I don't think so. No, but no, that is that is actually eerily fascinating. His ultimate number is nine. Nine in the Hebrew language being the number of the serpent. And it also means surround, symbolically, which is very interesting. I mean, there might be some, uh, you know, because uh, allegedly, scientifically, you know, the dark matter or the, you know, whatever, the tracheon or whatever, or tachyon. The Taurus is all around us. It's all around. So, uh, you know, it's just very, very interesting. Spooky. Uh, Um, Yeah. Well, okay. Before we move on to some, some other things, you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of the episode we did with William Ramsey. Yeah. Right? With the numbers and Aleister Crowley. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, numbers are a huge part of everything. I mean, you got numbers in the Bible, you have crazy cult guys with their numbers, and you have numbers everywhere. So, you know, you can see why guys like myself and Gons just need to have a numbers episode to just blow off some of this numerical steam because there's just seems to be numbers and everything that we we have to deal with and and so there you go that's where a lot of this came from and i hope you guys are enjoying it as much as we are because we still have some more to go we're getting into the bible yes yeah yeah absolutely and again we're not going to be able to touch on everything there are so many things that i wanted to talk about there's so much i can already tell you guys are starting to email us right now telling us about some numbers that we forgot and I will love to read those, but don't be angry if we uh, forget or we we don't get to touch on some of the awesome numerical uh, things that are in the Bible now, but we'll just touch on them, and uh, let's get to it, Guns. All right. One of the uh, very interesting things that I've learned from Chuck Missler, good old teacher Chuck Missler there, and I know some people have said that you know Chuck Missler is part of the New World Order and... Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe who knows I mean yeah, I, just... I know he has some ties with uh, some very uh... well anyway uh, let's not get into that but who doesn't really <laughs> yeah I know I mean... <laughs> okay do you have okay. your new world order sweatshirt yeah I, I do actually mine. they just sent me my uh, my boxer shorts that say um, masons are hot on just right across the behind awesome yeah, I don't know. I think that's a thing. That's going to be a thing <laughs> now that you got them. <laughs> All right. So, cosmic codes in the Bible. The number seven, right? People know the number seven means, you know, completion. It's the number of God. And it's often seen as lucky number seven. You know, there's various implications there. But a guy named Ivan Pennon, uh, about 100 years ago, took it to the extreme. And he discovered something called the heptatic structure. Yeah. And uh, Ivan Panin was born in 1855 in Russia. And, um, you know, as a young guy, he was uh, he participated in the plots against the SARS. So, you know, he was, he was one of those. Revolution! And uh, later he came to the U.S. and graduated from Harvard University in 1882. And it was around that time that he went from being an agnostic to accepting our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, in 1890, he made a really interesting mathematical discovery hidden in the scriptures in the Greek and Hebrew original language. And uh, from 1890, when he discovered this, all the way until his death in 1942, uh, Pannon recorded all of these uh, detailed findings of the heptatic structure in the Bible. Right. Okay, the seven's everywhere in the Bible. You have uh, the Sabbath, okay? 
Uh, you have seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. You have the seven priests and the seven trumpets marching around the walls of Jericho. You have uh, the seven churches, the seven lampstands. Seven lampstands, lamp seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven stars. And it keeps going. It keeps going. There's all sorts of sevens in the Bible. But this isn't what Ivan Panin was talking about. He was talking about patterns in the letters of the Hebrew and the Greek. And here's an example of one. I want you to imagine, you don't have to actually do this, but I want you to imagine yourself seriously taking this on an assignment. Imagine yourself taking on a scratch pad, blank piece of paper, and I want you to design a family tree, a genealogy. And by the way, for this assignment, you can do this from fiction. You can make it up as you go. How many could do that? Obviously you could. Okay, that's, that's, no, that's no problem. You know, fathers and sons, make up a family tree. Okay. Except I got a couple of rules I want you to follow. When, when you finished your assignment, you turn it in. I want the number of words that you used to be an exact multiple of seven. In other words, if I take the total number of words that in, is in your work product, if I divide it by seven, I don't have any remainder. So it's either seven words, 14, 21, 28. In other words, whatever number of words you use, it's an exact multiple of seven. How many could do that? You could fudge it around to mobile seven, right? Good, yeah, sure you could. Of course you could. I've got another rule I want to add. I want the number of letters that you use to also be an exact multiple of seven. I can sense that some of you dropped out. You say that, that you begin to realize that's a little tricky. And incidentally, I'm talking about in English here, aren't I? In English, you can fudge around sometimes. You can, poets always do that. You, know, you throw an asterisk in or something. Okay. There's an, I want the number of vowels and the number of consonants to be divisible by seven exactly. If I go through all your words, I count the vowels, it's an exact multiple. You got a problem with that? Of course you do. You realize that to make it a multiple of seven, if it's a random result, you've got six chances of losing and only one of winning, having come out right. You with me? So every time I add a rule, it makes it tougher. I'm going to say I want the number of words that begin with a vowel to be divisible by seven. Well, that's kind of chicken. And obviously, if that's the number of words begin with a consonant, it must be divisible by seven. The number of words that occur more than once to be divisible by seven. Do you, anybody still playing? You get the feeling that this would be hard to do, right? Those that occur in more than one form divisible by seven. Those that occur in only one form to be divisible by seven. The number of nouns shall be divisible by seven. The number only seven words shall not be nouns. That's easy, probably. Maybe not. The number of names shall be divisible by seven. Only seven other kinds of nouns shall be permitted beside names. The number of male names shall be divisible by seven, and the number of generations shall be divisible by seven. You've probably guessed where I'm headed here. Because this is a description of the genealogy of Jesus Christ in the first 18 verses of the book of Matthew. He goes on to the and probability of how that whole set of rules in producing your own genealogy is so minuscule. It's so difficult for anyone to do. I mean, it right. would be very, almost impossible to do this on your own. <laughs> right. Well, and especially without using Microsoft Word, Word Counter, and all yeah. the fancy, fancy schmancy tools we have today. Right. And well, okay. It's really neat. It's cool. One right. of the criticisms that Pannon has received is that, you know, which version of the original manuscripts is he using, you know, because okay. a different version can have a different letter, one letter that can throw something off and completely change everything. Right. Well, valid, what valid, uh, 
I guess, critique. But uh, at the same time... Um, well, are they critiquing or are they just asking? Is, I, th- is, well, I don't know. I think it was a a rebuttal that was brought up, but since Pannon hasn't been around for about seven years, I think it's kind of <laughs> difficult for him to answer that question. Right, right. Okay. All um, right. But he did publish this uh, this work as absolute proof that uh, the Bible is the word of God. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that you don't need to believe that it's the word of God. It's just a cool little thing that that Mr. Pennon de- devoted over half his life to. Right. And, uh, you know, maybe it'll bring, um, some of you, uh, skeptics around who knows. Well, at least, uh, get you counting words and things. Cause that, <laughs> that is very fascinating. Well, I'm no, in all honesty, I mean, I think that that's something, if there's a skeptic out there, I think that's something you need to look into. That's something that if it is true, I mean, it, it is very much an important part of, what you need to be looking at as a skeptic. And so check it out. Even if you're not, it's very interesting stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like you said, if it is true, then there's something more to the Bible than just a bunch of words written by shepherds 2000 years ago. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, numbers in the Bible are humongous. I mean, that's just, that is a very fascinating breakdown there. That That is something I had actually not, not heard of before. Uh, but besides this, you know, obviously numbers are a huge part of the Bible. You know, you don't need to be a Bible scholar to know that. So, we see just, again, we have numbers in the most important book in the history of the universe— uses numbers very heavily to communicate, to prophesy, and sometimes to validate or to mystify, in this case, with these patterns and things like that. Interestingly, the number 70 seems to be seems to have some sort of significance of judgment. Uh, different numbers, you know, like, like you said, Basil, numbers are huge in the Bible, but it seems like God uses numbers as motifs of various right. things, you know, like seven represents God and perfection. Six is the number of man. And so, you know, that's why six, six, six is like the unholy Trinity. You know, it's like this, uh, evil thing. It's man centered really. Right. And then you have one being the idea of one God, you know, a lot of times in the old Testament, you know, the Lord is one. There's, there's all sorts of, uh, implications there. There's 40, you know, 40 years in the desert, maybe used to talk about, the process of, uh, of, of being molded. Uh, you have um, Jesus fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in Matthew 4. Uh, so there's some, some level of uh, shaping or growing or concepts of learning. I don't know. Right. So there's that going on. Here's, here's kind of an interesting one that I think is, uh, is kind of cool. So in Genesis 10, which is uh, right before the Tower of Babel, there's a verse that says right after the genealogies after Noah, it says these are the clans of, of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies in their nations. And from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Now the number of nations that are mentioned there are 70. Here's an interesting fact. Um, in Deuteronomy 32, eight, it says when the most high gave to the nations, their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders and the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Now, a lot of people, a lot of your Bibles may say sons of Israel, 
uh, right here, but Dr. Michael Heiser has done a really good refutation of this. He believes that the correct translation is the sons of God. And the reason is because when this happened, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance... Is this the same sons of God yeah, yeah. that I'm thinking of? Yeah. And, wow. and a lot of translations, again, say children of Israel or sons of Israel. The problem is... Israel wasn't a nation at this point. <laughs> so there's an issue there with uh, being called the sons of Israel. Right. The New Living Translation translates it as the number in his heavenly court. And then the English Standard Version translates it as the number of the sons of God. So it's the whole idea of a divine council, which we haven't tackled yet. And we're going to get Michael Heiser on at some point. He's uh, he, He's busy. Um, which is true. He emailed us. He emailed me with, uh, he emailed everyone asking for an interview and said, uh, no interview until the new year. So he's busy. Okay. So moving on here. So again, God spread out the nations and based on Genesis 10, we know that it was 70 nations. Now here's what's really cool. In Luke 10, we see Jesus send out 70 people to go do his, his work. So you have Deuteronomy 32, eight, you have 70 nations being, uh, being controlled by the sons of God. Now in Luke 10, you have Jesus sending out 70 people. I think there's some, some symbolism there of Jesus sending out 70 in a way to reclaim those nations. Now here's, here's why I think that when you look at the temptation of Jesus and Satan offers all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Right. And he says something really interesting here because Satan actually says, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world because they have been given to me. It Mm. seems like the 70 sons of God, the original sons of God that had dominion over the nations gave their authority to Satan. Yes. And then at the end, when Jesus sends out 70, it's almost like a declaration of like, Hey, look, Going to take back the nations. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. So, again, motifs, and uh, again, using 70 as a form of judgment, in this case, the judgment of the sons of God and Satan. And, you know, that's just another little tidbit. All right. So, there's all sorts of numerological significances in the Bible, but a lot of them are plain. A lot of them are not hidden meanings or hidden patterns. Certainly consider the work that Ivan Panin did. Uh, He does have some issues with um, how he did things and and whatnot. And there are critiques of it. Nevertheless, it's interesting to look at. But, you know, it's it's all numbers. From top to bottom, everywhere, numbers. Okay, here's something for you. Do you know uh, Pythagoras? I do. You may have heard of of a theorem, the Pythagorean theorem. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. That's the one. Yep. It's it's a good one. Well, uh, he you know he may not have been as great of a guy as as uh, your math teacher was making him out to be. You know he's he was a mathematician. He lived you know somewhere around uh, five seventy to four ninety five BC, just off the top of my head. And uh, <laughs> he actually founded a cult. It's called the Pythagorean cult, and. Um, it was considered by Aristotle to be one of the first groups that, uh, you know, extensively studied, you know, mathematics, which y- you could expect from him. But uh, he was deeply, deeply entrenched in the mystery religions 
and um, this whole numerological nonsense that we get into. So, kids, if there's any kids out there listening, and uh, you know you, you're going to do your math homework tonight, just know that Pythagoras is not as cool of a guy as uh, your math teacher would like you to to know to think. So, you know, fight the power, man. Do <laughs> do your homework, though. That's good. Do your homework, you but then, uh, you know, at a certain point, you got to draw the line and say, hey, you know, I'm glad I can uh, calculate this triangle, but, uh, right. hey, you know, that doesn't mean that uh, I'm going to become a god. It's... <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was trying to say. So <laughs> there you go, kids. Okay, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. Um, we hope you got something out of it. Hope you didn't fall asleep. Hope we didn't bring you back to some terrible math middle school math class. Um, make sure to tune in next time, next week, for another exciting episode of Canary Cry Radio. Send us your emails and your math homework, and we can help you out. No. <laughs> no. I will say, just real quick. Okay. Growing up in an Asian home, I will say okay. that math was like a very big thing. Oh, yeah. And I so yeah. It, it was shoved down my throat. Not really bad but i mean i did the the kumon and the all sorts of stuff so i was really ahead in math and then we got into word problems and Uh, because uh. technically i am uh esl which means english as a second language um although i'm much better at english than i am at japanese but in any case when i was still transitioning from you know understanding Japanese and understanding English and how the two relate, we got into word problems okay. and that was a big problem for me because yeah. I, was, I wasn't I was quite grasping all the intricacies that are you know, that Especially word problems, That's that could be terrible. Yeah, it was, it was rough it was rough because I, I wasn't understanding how the numbers relate to the words that were right. being put there and because the numbers are the uh, you know the the the, the universal language, right, right, right. So okay, well I I I feel deeply for you, Gons, and I know everybody else does. And so please, everybody, if you can send your your letters of affirmation and your your emails um, explaining to Gons just how much you care. And uh, you know, gosh, uh, what is this? Is this turn into <laughs> I don't turn know. into okay. all about Gons? Okay. Canary Gons uh, Radio. Or something. Okay, okay, all right. So there you have it. Uh, more numbers for everyone, and um, we hope you tune in next week. And until then, my name's Basil, and I'm Gons. Keep thinking outside the cage. Thank you for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. The show notes for this episode and many others are available at canarycryradio.com. Make sure to connect and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash canarycryradio. Follow us on Twitter at canarycryradio. If you would like to share the show in video format, you can find us on YouTube by searching Canary Cry Radio. Review us on iTunes with five stars and give us a thumbs up on stumbleupon.com. We would like to thank those of you who have given us your support, prayers, and donations. 
If you would like to join us and support Canary Cry Radio financially, you could do so by visiting canarycryradio.com and clicking the support tab. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, remember to think outside the cage.